Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is highlights from the BGSA conference with my friend Ben Gordon. If you didn't already know, BGSA stands for Ben Gordon Strategic Advisors. Ben is one of the most interesting people in logistics and supply chain as an investor, as an operator, as somebody who's taken a leadership position in so many places. He is the founder of Cambridge Capital, BGSA Strategic Advisors, and also the Logistics Coalition or the Ukraine Logistics Coalition. I've had him on my podcast many times because he is so knowledgeable and so interesting. Well, today when I talk with Ben, we cover a whole bunch of things about what's coming up in our space, not only the macroeconomic stuff, but also the stuff that's impacting us day to day. So if you want to to understand what's going to happen in the next 12 months, listen to this podcast. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about my friends over at Tusk Logistics. That's T-U-S-K logistics.com. Tusk is a small parcel shipping network, very similar to UPS and FedEx or the Postal Service, except you can save 40%. 40% with Tusk Logistics. And the way they do that is they've got a great technology that connects you to all of the great small parcel regional carriers. So there's a ton of these companies around that are just regional. And uh, they're great. They usually are um, even better than than the big guys in their specific region. Unfortunately, they're in one region until now because Tusk has connected them all together with technology and again, 40% savings. And the way they do it is Tusk has got pre-negotiated rates. So when you reach out to Tusk, they will get you that 40% savings right off the bat. And so go to tusklogistics.com and there's a button that says get started. Hit that button and get started. Save yourself some money. This is a can't can't lose deal. So how's it going, Ben Gordon? Great, Joe. Great to see you again. Thanks for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you too, because you know what's going on. We all kind of gossip and talk about things, but you have actual stats about what's happening in our our big world, the logistics and supply chain. So please introduce yourself and your company and what is BGSA <laughs> for those living under a rock? <laughs> well, Joe, BGSA is BG Strategic Advisors. It's the investment bank that I founded 21 years ago. We've done over 50 deals, mergers, acquisitions, and other deals in the logistics and supply chain arena. It's one of the, really my career, I've built five companies, as you know, in the logistics and supply chain world starting with Threeplex in the SaaS TMS arena, and then started the investment bank because I'd gotten to know all these great companies in logistics, people like NFI and Newbreed and Genco and others, and uh, had the opportunity to work with them in some cases with our software company. And then turned out that a lot of them were more interested in our advice than our software, which, which uh, I think the, the height of entrepreneurship is listening. So, so built an investment bank and also our private equity business, Cambridge Capital, uh, which now has eight platform companies in different areas of logistics and supply chain. So what's the di- what's the difference between what BGSA does and that you said that's investment banking and what's the difference between that kind of company and Cambridge Capital? So BGSA is advice and Cambridge Capital is money. So companies come to BGSA because they say, I want you to sell. I think everyone needs both. <laughs> <laughs> we all need advice and money. That's that's true. But so, you know, your typical... Yeah, that's, that's all I'm lacking. <laughs> you just need more advice and more money. Now, you, you've got plenty of advice. We, we all want more of, of, of everything. But yeah, so, so look, the investment banking side, BG Strategic Advisors, for example, Werner hired BGSA to sell its freight forwarding division, which we sold to Scan Global Logistics, or NFI hired... BGSA to help find an acquisition in transportation management. We helped them buy CAI logistics. So that's the investment banking side. And then Cambridge Capital is private equity. That's where we invest our own money as partners in companies to help them grow. So we were an original investor with Brad Jacobs and XPO back in 2011. And that was good. <laughs> we were an original investor in, in the. I mean, own- am I wrong to say that's one of the best investments over the last decade? I mean, wasn't that a fantastic story? Oh, yeah. When we invested. Brad Jacobs and XPO did? The XPO business was an idea. Brad put in about 70 million of his own money. And then we invested some, a couple of other people invested some in the acquisition of Express One. That was a 
$10 million EBITDA company worth about $75 million. And XPO grew to become worth $20 billion over the next decade, albeit with some acquisitions along the way. So if you had invested a million dollars in XPO in 2011, you would have had $50 million 10 years later. So that's about as good a return as I think there's ever been in logistics. Yeah. I mean, I think you were on my podcast once before and you said the fantastic investments of FedEx, UPS, and I think you mentioned XPO in the same. And obviously we all know why UPS took off. We all know why FedEx, the e-commerce. And I told somebody this the other day, those companies were kind of losing a little bit when the internet came because they used to move contracts a lot. I always remember getting housing contracts where you're like, you would FedEx it. And all of a sudden that wasn't necessary after um, internet, but they found a new place <laughs> called did. e-commerce. They did. In fact, COVID was a tremendous success for UPS and FedEx. The parcel logistics category, which historically has grown 3% like GDP, the stock market value during year one of COVID that category was up about 50%, 5.0. So like 15 times more than the normal growth. So so yes, those guys were the, the big winners in the shift to e-commerce. Well, very nice, very nice. So so you guys, you mentioned you built five companies, but I would say you built a lot more than that with your investments and your advice. So we wanted to talk about highlights from BGSA. So you told us what BGSA is as a business. What is it as a conference and when was it as a conference? So every January for the last 17 years, we've hosted what's now over 350 CEOs and leaders in the global logistics and supply chain world here in sunny Palm Beach at the Breakers Hotel. And Not and a bad sell. Not a not, bad sell. No, it's not. And so so really, it's it's the place where people come to talk strategy, to talk deals, to meet with fellow CEOs and talk about the big issues, deals like the Uber Transplace deal came together there. So lot, lots of lots of interesting things happen. And this conference, our 17th annual event, uh, which was just a little over a month ago, the end of January, we had the opportunity to host just a, a tremendous range of, of top people throughout all areas of supply chain. And, and we got to learn a lot. And so, and those learnings related to how people feel about growth this year, what they're most excited about. We, we poll the, these 350 plus CEOs and the majority of them answer. So we, we've got pretty good data on that. We also have a you know, pretty good substantive discussion through interactive panels with some of the top CEOs about what's happening in trucking, freight forwarding, warehousing, supply chain technology. And so it's really a great way to get a snapshot of what's happening in our market. Yep. I was talking to my good friend, Ryan Shriver, and he was at your conference and he said, he goes, you know, he goes to, I think he goes to every darn conference, but I, I did see him at Manifest and saw you at Manifest, another great conference. And he said, you know, he goes, they all have their their value. And he said, but, you know, he goes, the, the one down in Florida, obviously great place to go in Florida in January. And he said, it's it's intimate. There's good conversations. He goes, there's deals that are done down there. He said just that way. And I love Manifest, don't get me wrong. I saw everybody and their brother, but it is a different kind of conference because it's not, it can't be as intimate. There's just so many people there. Great. I wouldn't disparage either one, <laughs> but uh, you want, if you want looking for deals, if you're looking to make those kind of cl uh, close contacts, that's a good way to go, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, they're two totally different events with different goals. I love Manifest too, and Pam's terrific. And You went to both. I don't know how you did, Ben. <laughs> well, I, I didn't sleep a lot, but but no, but the, the BGSA supply chain conference is really it's the only CEO level event across all areas of supply chain talking about the big issues of, of strategy, MA, and the outlook. And so that's that's really been the, the core of focus. So you had a very interesting presentation that you shared. I'm assuming you shared it with uh, down at BGSA, but you were sharing with me before, and I know we'd we like to bring that up. Before you bring that up though, I want to also talk to you about the Ukraine Logistics Coalition and what that is and why it's so important right now. So Ukraine Logistics Coalition was something that I co-founded last year. You know, it's been just over a year since Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th, 2022. And in my view, we all have a humanitarian obligation, just first and foremost as, as people, to do what we can to help protect the, the innocent civilians uh, in Ukraine who, who did nothing other than have the bad luck of being next door to a 
brutal dictatorship that, that launched uh, uh, an unjustified war designed to destroy them. And, and so it's not really a political commentary. It's just a, a, a matter of fact observation that, that much like I would have hoped uh, that, that the people that I know would have stood up to do more if it was 1939. Um, I, I hope that, that today, those of us who are listening will do everything that we can to help protect the, these, these innocent people. And so Ukraine Logistics Coalition was an effort to do just that. My, my thought was, why don't I contribute something that I, that I know something about, which is logistics, um, and use it to help. So you can help with money. And, and I've raised money and, and donated money to, to support uh, Ukraine relief efforts. But you can also help with in-kind contributions. And so what we did, we put together a network of transportation companies who've been willing to donate their time and their transportation capacity to help bring in medical supplies. So right now, for example, I'm in the midst of, of working on what, what I hope will be a large multi-million dollar medical shipment that, that's being donated by a major GPO, group purchasing organization in the healthcare world, to donate medical supplies. And the transportation partners that we have at the Ukraine Logistics Coalition, and you can see that online at logisticscoalition.org, are helping by donating either for free or on a discounted basis, the transportation so that we can get those donated supplies there as quickly and as cheaply as possible to help save as many lives as possible. Yep. Yep. And, you know, Ben, when you mentioned the civilians, it seems as if part of the Russian strategy is we are going to make it impossible for civilians to stay in their homes. And that you, there's just shells of certain cities are just shells. They're, uh, so, in a lot of wars, you see the armies fighting themselves and the, the civilian casualties and the civilian property damage are incidental. In this case, they are targeting civilians and they've been doing it for a long time. And I've, I've thought about you in the organization. There's countries like Poland that just have seen enormous influx of refugees that they have no ability to manage. We have a lot of refugees coming in on our southern border. Well, we're a country of 330 million people, um, and there's millions coming in. These are tens of millions of people have left uh, these, this region and with nothing but the clothes on their back in a lot of cases. Well, 100%. It's, it's a humanitarian tragedy in Europe on a scale that we haven't seen since World War II. And, you know, 10 million refugees driven out of Ukraine. Some of them have returned, but the, that, that population volume is, is just truly, truly staggering. And, and this, uh, this won't be over in 10 years. I mean, 10 years, they'll still be bombed out areas of the Ukraine, and hopefully it'll be the Ukraine. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, because look, as, as uh, the saying goes, if, if Russia stopped bombing, Ukraine could begin to go back to normal. If Ukraine stopped fighting, there would be no more Ukraine. So unfortunately, it's asymmetric, but it's also a reason why the Ukrainians are fighting so hard and why I think they deserve uh, our support as, as Americans and as humans. And, and so the opportunity to help is you can give money and there are lots of great causes and I'm, I'm happy to suggest them. I mean, our own nonprofit, Ukraine Logistics Coalition, has, doesn't charge a penny for anything. You know, thus far I've paid for, you know, for, for all the expenses that we've taken on, but eventually we'll, you know, raise, raise money to, you know, to donate directly. But there's also, I mean, there's the JDC, the Red Cross, a variety of Ukraine specific nonprofits, but you can also donate in kind. And if you're a transportation company, you can donate the transportation resources, or if you know somebody in the healthcare world, help donate things like uh, needles, syringes, um, medicines, painkillers, first aid kits, anything that would be in a, in a field hospital that, that helps to save lives. And so, again, whether it's money or time or transportation resources or medical supplies, you could do anything, but don't do nothing. I like it. I like it. So please give, guys, I'll make sure I uh, get links from Ben. I'll put those in the show notes so you can follow up with the Ukraine Logistics Coalition or, as Ben said, any other of these wonderful charities that are out there. And again, what I think every once in a while when I watch some of that news is, what if it was here? What if it was me? And I, I, I just feel so lucky on one hand that uh, I was born here. I was born in a place, by my no, no effort of my own, just pure luck. I was born in a place that's safe. I live indoors. I eat every day. Some people aren't. And you don't want to curse that. <laughs> so um, please give. So 
on to happier news, Ben. You had a wonderful presentation, and if you want to share your screen, you can take us through the mostly good news, I like to think, of business. I'd be happy to do that. This is something that has only been seen before live at our annual conference in January. So I'm, I'm going to share something. It's normally that... a very expensive thing to see. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, we paid over a million dollars for breakers and other expenses, and, and uh, you're going to get oh, yeah. So I'd be delighted to, delighted to share it. So what I thought I'd do is just give you a few highlights of what who is there, what they said and what That's we the who's who. That's who it is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with the, the who's who. These are some of the CEOs and leaders that were here. And they include giants, right? Like DHL, high growth tech companies, unicorns like, like Bring, uh, some of the largest public companies in different areas like, like Werner and Trucking and then Estes on the you know, private trucking side, some of the largest uh, privately held companies in different areas of logistics. NFI, right now, $4 billion company, digital logistics companies, you know, of which there are many, I mean, reverse logics and returns management software and green screens and AI for predictive pricing. And uh, so really broad mix of, of leaders uh, across a, a broad range of different areas. And what's great about that is that means that we all get the benefit of learning from, from these other leaders and what they're seeing and, and what they're doing. And when you talk about uh, what they're seeing and doing, it's worth noting that this is an audience of CEOs that's pretty bullish. And notwithstanding all the challenges in the world, recession and you know, Russia's war in Ukraine and the, the freight recession that's underway right now, when we asked the, the 350 plus CEOs and leaders who were here, 80% plus said that they had grown over 10% last year. And over 70% were expecting over 10% growth this year. So this is a bullish. So they are bullish. <laughs> right. So <laughs> all the bad news that you and I see in the papers and challenges that, that, that uh, exist, still amongst, amongst this elite group of leaders, you know, strong growth and strong continued expectations. That's the excellent. Second, yeah. The second thing I want to highlight is stock market was ugly last year and it was ugly for everybody. But the supply chain index uh, was down 15%. That's the public basket of the close to 70 publicly traded companies in and around supply chain. That was better than the S&P 500. That was down 20. Better than the NASDAQ, which was down 34. And better than the basket of unprofitable software companies, which is a good proxy for venture capital. And that was down 60%. So supply chain had a less bad year. Where, where are they traded mostly? I'll show you. Here's who they are. So... So this is the list of all the companies broken down into nine categories, mix of NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange. There might be a couple of others that are uh, the American Stock Exchange, but, but, uh, but by and large, those two. And so, so you we, can see- so we got FedEx in there, Ryder. Exactly. CH Robinson. Yeah, we got, we got a lot of big dogs there. So, and they're across healthcare, energy, railroad, truckload, software, tech, distribution, logistics, and parcel. Exactly. And it, so I, I sorted these. So how to interpret this eye chart? <laughs> the x-axis shows you the different categories of supply chain that are publicly traded. The y-axis shows the stock market performance of the companies in 2022. And the size of the bubble indicates the size of their market value. So for example, you'll notice that the far right, the category that as a category did the worst was parcel. So FedEx, UPS, and Deutsche Post uh, on average, dropped about 30% last year. But it's worth noting that that category also shot up uh, by more than that amount the prior year, really, and in, in, in the year before that because of COVID, the e-commerce work from home shift and the, and the massive increase in parcel demand. So, But in any event, those three companies, which total, I think, close to $300 billion of market value uh, or so, uh, dropped 30%. And on the other hand, Healthcare supply chain companies like McKesson and Amerisource Bergen in the upper left actually did very well. Those two uh, and, and Cardinal uh, for that uh, for that matter. Those those companies uh, up in the like McKesson and, and Cardinal both up about fifty percent plus. So is Cardinal Health considered a logistics company? It's not a, a logistics company, but in my view, it is a supply chain company because they distribute healthcare products. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny. You Ben, you could slice and dice logistics and supply chain a million different ways. But I like that. And by the way, 
I don't think we ever even said medical supply chain until recently or hospital supply chain. And when I was at Manifest, I noticed hospitals have supply chain vice presidents. So obviously they're looking at it that way too. Well, exactly. I mean, look, when we started our conference in 2007, we said we were the first, we we said we were the only gathering of CEOs across all areas of supply chain. And I think in 2007, that sounded nerdy and, and, uh, you know, weird. It was like, well, where's the word transportation? Where's the word logistics? But really supply chain is the flow of information, goods, and money. Um, and that covers a lot of territory. And so, so yeah, healthcare uh, absolutely has a, a, a supply chain that's vital. We all saw that during COVID. And so companies like McKesson are an illustration of that. Yeah. By the way, one of the trends that's coming, and I, I did do an inter- a podcast interview on it not so long ago, is hospital in the home. And so my mother had a pacemaker and I stayed with her while they, she right after. So the physical therapist comes to the house, a nurse comes to the house, a occupational therapist, everybody but the doctor. And from what I understand, John Hopkins and other hospital chains are looking at this and saying, as the population ages, could we check somebody into the hospital, but they'd be at their home? Now, obviously, we're not doing surgeries or trauma stuff at homes, but it's a lot easier to sleep when you're at your own bed with your own dog and your own cable TV. So logistics is going to become the logistics to those homes is going to become increasingly important. Well, that's right. Getting the people there, getting off my soapbox. <laughs> Listen, for, for people, you're 100% right, Joe. For, and for people that have chronic illnesses where, for example, they might have had to go to the hospital to get a, an, an IV, you can now get home medical services, uh, including subcutaneous, so like through the fatty tissue of the abdomen, drug delivery. And that means that if you don't have to put a patient in the hospital, A, it's better for the hospital because they're not constrained by, by hospital beds. B, it's better for the patient like you illustrated because you don't have to go to a hospital, which by the way is a pretty good place to get sick. And, and <laughs> see, your quality of life is higher. So, so it, it, cheaper and better is, is, uh, is a good thing. And so home healthcare is a category and the logistics around that, supply chain around that, 100% something that, that we're I think going to see a lot more of companies on the left. We need to open our eyes to it, fellas. I I didn't think of it that way, but it's absolutely the right way to think about it. So, so coming back to what we learned, I think across the board, we all got hit last year, uh, some more than others, like the parcel companies and and logistics companies. But, but despite that, you know, there, there's still some, some things to be excited about as illustrated by that fact that over 70% of attendees expect double digit growth this year. Why is that? Well, the way the way I think about it, four big themes in terms of how to make sense of what's going on. One is what's happening with the economy. We saw this spike in interest rates, plunge in growth and freight rates, and all kinds of challenges. But you know, the flip side is that that some of these supply chains are self-healing, meaning uh, the shortages that we all suffered last year and the year before that's not a problem anymore. And Yes, it's, it's very bad news for trucking companies and freight uh, brokerage companies and others that are feeling the effects of this. But as some capacity exits the market, uh, think, things will, will firm up. And one of the things that I heard, look, in our panel of trucking CEOs, we had CEOs of, of Estes and, and Werner and Covenant and uh, uh, multiple other majors. And the consensus feedback was, Bad eight, bad first half, strong second half. So we'll, we'll see. Are we in recession right now? Are we on our way out? Or are we on the way in? Uh, what's your assessment? Well, from a macroeconomic standpoint, I'm not a macroeconomist, but I know that the, the technical definition of, of recession seems to have changed that I think you have to have two negative quarters in a row. There's no doubt that we're, we've experienced negative economic growth. And... and uh, so I know the official statistics don't say we're in a recession yet. And it's interesting. There's an article, I think, in the Wall Street Journal today that said that every month for the last year, economists have said we're six months away from a recession starting. So so uh, because there are all these. That's how I feel about it. Isn't that crazy? I did read, or maybe I heard on my podcast, one or the other, uh, that MSC, I think the largest shipping company, steamship line right now, is forecasting a a, a a growth in the second half of this year. And I think that's a good bellwether 
Um, if they they aren't they aren't investing uh, without some insights. Yeah, uh, look, I, I think that's consistent with the feedback that we saw, heard, learned from from other CEOs at our conference, like that trucking panel. So, you know, are we in a recession? I think we are. We're definitely in a freight recession. You know, if you look at freight rate data, <laughs> right. I'll, I'll show you some data on that. That we, we've had a bigger drop. Uh, we're at a lower level than at any point in the last five years. So, so there's no question that we're in a freight recession. So, yeah, I guess that there's that old saying is um, it's 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 just a re- it's not a recession unless you lose your own job, right? <laughs> your neighbor loses your job, it's okay. <laughs> it's not a recession. Right. That was right. I think it's if yeah. if your neighbor loses your job, it's a recession. If you lose your job, it's a depression. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. So, tell me about the China Great Decoupling. I'm very interested in this one. So. 50 years ago, 51 years now, Richard Nixon went to China. And it was one of those seminal moments that we, we all learned about in American history. And it's a phrase that echoes that this was like a Nixon to China moment when somebody goes to do something that, that seemed impossible or the guy who was at one end of an issue uh, switches to the other side. Well, that the, the whole premise behind Nixon going to China was the expectation that through economic growth, we could create ties uh, that would bring China in from the cold, right? And separate China, the, the Chinese-Soviet alliance. And it didn't work, right? So, so what happened? China did forge economic ties with the US. It did actually change the Chinese-Soviet relationship, but it certainly didn't, quote, bring them in from the cold. You know, you could argue that the Cold War ended and China won because Soviet Union collapsed. And meanwhile, China has ended up with the fastest growing modern economy that we've ever seen. And that economy has doubled in the last seven years or last 10 years, rather, growing at a 7% rate, similar growth for the the prior decade before that. And and today, China's on track to become the largest economy in the world by different metrics within the next decade. So so this this whole uncoupling, decoupling of the US-China political relationship is linked to decoupling of the economic relationship. And so we're going to see more more tariffs, uh, more trade disruption, greater reduction in growth in U.S.-China exports and imports. And that might be bad news for the port of L.A. Long Beach, uh, but it's great news for these new factories of the world, Mexico in particular, uh, and India. We're seeing a lot of U.S.-Mexico logistics growth. Um, the rise of the rest. Yeah, Apple the- just doubled. Apple just made a big investment in India, and they had traditionally spent a lot in in China, especially well, Foxconn. Yeah, and Tesla just just announced a, a major factory they're, they're building in Mexico, and Tesla, of course, is you know tremendous factory presence in China. So, the improbable bromance that's emerged between Elon Musk and uh, Amlo, the the prime minister of Mexico uh, is is uh, is striking, but basically we're going to see more and more companies set up factories in Mexico and supply chains that link the U.S. and Mexico, and that's you know that's that's happening now, and certainly something that we expect to see a lot more of. And and if I could add something, um, I I spent a lot of time in China. The first the first U.S. company to do business in China, half owned by Chinese government, was American. It was Beijing Jeep, and I worked at Beijing Jeep. And so I was there a lot in the 90s launching cars and wonderful people, not against the people at all, but they were, had this one child policy. And so they are, they are aging faster there than any other country in the history of the world. And they are no longer the low cost country in virtually any of the spaces that they compete. And the only way you compete as a low cost country is with young people. Older people don't work for cheap. And they, they're lacking that those young people, but they have so many problems over there. The political problems just be are just a part of it. And I think when you start to see the um, saber rattling, a lot of that has to do with governments do this to distract you from the fact that the power is off in your 30 story building and you have to take the stairs today. So now you have to find a villain, whether that's Taiwan or the United States or some other country. That's that's when you hear the saber rattling, think weakness. <laughs> and uh, I wish all of the, my Chinese friends well. Um, I, I, hope, I hope that changes happen without bloodshed. Well, I hope changes happen, period. But you nailed it. I mean, I think, I think that's exactly right. And, and there, there is an element of political distraction. 
but there's also an element of, of practical opportunity for, for, for your audience and you and me and others that care about global supply chains. It, it really means that these opportunities in, in new markets like India and Mexico, which are not just lower cost than China for the reasons that you mentioned, but they're also more stable in a, in yes. a, in a way that, that uh, despite all the political rhetoric about, about Mexico, guess what? The U.S.-Mexico relationship's a lot more stable. Yes. And um, I, I read a book. And by the way, if you guys haven't already read, listened to that, I listened to the book. And it was it's called The End of the World is Just the Beginning. And it's by Peter Zion. He's a geopolitical guy. And um, I watch him on YouTube every single day. He's brilliant, but he talks a lot about Colombia as an opportunity for us also. And um, it, it, he, he kind of brings this all the way back to the Bretton Woods Agreement after World War II, when the United States said, we're going to go to war with Russia eventually. Let's, let's befriend the rest of the world so they're our allies in this next great war. And so we patrolled the oceans and said, we will have free trade. You can sell here anytime you want. And we made it very easy for countries to trade with us and be our friend. We're decoupling from that that 75-year agreement too. Because the biggest beneficiary of that is China. And now China is threatening us with, with the uh, success that we help provide to them. Yes, that's exactly right. Exactly right. What about tech? So in the tech world... Look, on the one hand, record investment. In the last two years, more dollars deployed in supply chain technology than, than any other two-year period in history, probably any other four-year period in history. Wow. A lot of, of high-profile deals. And yes, there will be some failures. You know, Embark Trucks, the self-driving truck company that, you know, was, was a high-profile seeming winner and is now going bankrupt. And, and you know, yes, all the, all the other... I mean, if you follow LinkedIn and you can you, you can see there's there's a whole cottage industry around uh, pot shots at, at overfunded. I noticed that. I noticed that. You know what? And some of it's true. Like there are some emperors with no clothes, but there are also a lot of winners. <laughs> and and uh, so don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, yes, there are some companies. I mean, the go to LinkedIn and look up Flexport and you know, you'll see some very polarizing comments. <laughs> but 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 guess what? If you go and look at, at uh, and I'll share this with you, the um, companies that have become unicorns in supply chain technology recently, there are now at least 51 unicorns in supply chain tech. So there are companies that are creating real value through innovation. And, and that's great news for all of us. And, and so, and I'll share some of those themes that, 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 that sit underneath that if you'd like. Yeah, Ben, what's interesting is you mentioned the pot shots. You remember, what was it, at least a decade of how overvalued Amazon is. And no one should buy Amazon. They've never made a penny. They're not going to make any money. They're not going to make any money. And then all of a sudden, it was just one day, oh, I guess Warren Buffett bought a whole bunch of Amazon stock. You're like, what? How did this happen? This is this is a company that was famous for not making any money. And it was, as you mentioned, the pot shots were always there. So you know, hold your stones, guys. <laughs> you might live in a glass house yourself. Um, ben, real quick, while we're talking about the tech and the baby in the bathwater, talk for a minute about the down rounds and what that means for those who don't know what it what that what that means. So a down round is reality. Down round is is uh, you thought you were worth X last year, and now because of the markets, you're worth less than X, and you can choose not to raise money. And if you're a startup and doesn't and you don't need money and you're profitable, that's great. Or you go raise money and you'll end up doing it at a down round, which simply reflects the fact that the market is assigning a lower multiple to your revenue or your profit today than it did a year ago. This is a controversial topic in in some circles because there are if you were a tech entrepreneur and you were great at your job and every year your revenue grew. Maybe if you had profit, but it probably didn't, that, that grew. And if you raised money you know, or you were public, your valuation went up and everything was always up and to the right. Well, guess what? It's not always like that. And this past year showed that even if you were a public company that was growing, the market assigned roughly a 50% lower revenue multiple to you today than it did a year ago. Does it mean that you're all of a sudden uh, a materially worse company? No, it simply means that the market is saying that's you know that's that's what 
Uh, that's what reality is today. So now the challenge is, and this is, I think, one of the most important issues that, that I expect we will all see this year. If you are an employee who's recruited to go join one of these companies and you left one job for another, and one of the reasons you did that was because you loved the company, but another was you thought you'd make a lot of money in the stock. Well, guess what? If the company's value, let's just take your, your average highly funded billion dollar value company. And let's say they raised $200 million to get to the point where they were worth a billion. Okay, great. Well, but here's the thing. If that billion dollar company is now worth 500 million, okay, and 200 million was required to get there, if that company sold tomorrow and you owned 1% of the stock, you might have thought, hey, this is great. I own 1% of a billion. I own $10 million. Well, you really own 1% of the stock above a high water mark. And that high water mark is typically at a minimum paying off the existing investors. So in that example, you, you didn't own a, a 1% of, of a billion, you own 1% of 500 million minus 200 million, which means 3 million. But it might be less than that also, because there might also be hurdle rates, like the money might get a return before the management team gets any value. And so in the end, when all said and done, you know, these huge stock fortunes. Oh, and then by the way, what happens if they go raise money and they have to raise another 100 million at, at that 500? And that also means that your, your, uh, your, your stock has taken a big level of dilution. So in, the <laughs> end, diluted. in the end, the market value might've dropped 50%, but the value of what you as a member of a management team owned could have dropped 90%. And so you're going to see a lot of people leave these companies in the next year when they figure that out. Yep. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, these things, the down round only kind of happens when there's a recognition or transaction. So when a, a Ben Gordon says, hey, um, Cambridge would like to invest $10 million and we would like 10% of the company and they go, oh, actually 10% of the company is $20 million. And you go, last year it was $20 million. This year it's $10 million. And it, you said it right when we started talking about this, it's reality. Last year, you could say 20 million was for 10%. Now it's 10 million. And that's kind of the, 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 the look in the mirror where you go, okay, I will look in the mirror. And, and maybe to survive and thrive, you need to do that. You need to do that down round. And I think you mentioned to start that a lot of great companies are started during downturns. And um, so, you know, I think as you said, we all want that linear, smooth growth uh, we all would like to invest in those companies, but that's not reality. Well, you're right. And if you look at, for example, Amazon, if it were March of 2000 and you and I were talking. Uh, oh, boy, there it is. <laughs> Amazon would have been touted as you know one of the world's greatest companies. And then in six months, their stock would have dropped over 90%. And so if you and I were having this conversation in September of, 20, of, of 2000, oh, you know, probably say, gee, this company looks like it's going to go bankrupt. And, and it did. And a lot of people thought that it would. But Amazon fought through that. They ended up launching Amazon Marketplace, Prime, of course, their last mile logistics capability, Amazon Web Services, AWS, which now makes virtually all of their money and these other capabilities. They shot up. Uh, 2008 was another downturn. In 2018, 19, there's a 37% drop. And guess what? They, they've shot up to a, what's, what's now a $900 billion value company. And yeah, that, that actually it was double that uh, a year ago. But still, the point is that uh, the best companies find ways to fight through these capital markets challenges. And as Jeff Bezos says, uh, to be in growth mode, not survival mode. And, and that's, that's the case. So I think the companies that succeed this year could be tremendous winners, but it takes a different style of leadership to win in this environment. It takes, you know, as, as Michael Corleone says in The Godfather, uh, a wartime consigliere, not a peacetime consigliere. <laughs> exactly. Ben, last time I think I had you on my podcast, you talked about at one time Amazon it was a. It was kind of shocking when analysts and people like yourself started saying AWS is going to be the growth engine of Amazon, and then I think you said logistics might be the ne next AWS within that business. So, talk about the importance of the logistics business within Amazon. Yeah. So 
I, I do believe that. I, I, I predicted that and I see that happening now. Amazon made a strategic decision that control that they wanted to take friction out of the process for consumers, people like you and me, to, to buy more, buy more from Amazon. And they figured if they controlled the logistics, they would make it easier to accomplish that. So originally the idea was, okay, let's have Amazon Prime so that if you buy something, you, you know you could get it next day and that has value. And then that instant gratification will cause you to buy more. Then they figured out that they could open it up just like Amazon Marketplace or Amazon Web Services allowed them to open up the, those capabilities, that capacity they built to sell to other folks. I believe we're approaching the point where Amazon is going to start doing more of that. So they've built out all this capacity. They've got transportation, there's the truck capacity, uh, they're contracting directly with, with these trucking companies. And, and of course, you see the Amazon brand on, on uh, probably on your street every day. They've got capacity in the form of planes and they're contracting out with companies as they've done with Atlas Air and, and, and ATSG and others. And they figured out how to monetize that. So they get warrants, the more volume they put on these planes, the more equity they get in, the, in these companies. Then they built out this warehousing network, both through standalone warehouses, as well as moves like, like the Whole Foods acquisition. Ultimately, they're creating what, in my view, will become the largest logistics company. And that will have value, not just for Amazon's customers, but potentially could be opened up on a third party basis too. Yep. I heard not so long ago that 60% of the people selling on Amazon, maybe at 60% of the volume are Chinese. And I thought, oh, interesting. I didn't realize that. Makes sense. I, I, I don't particularly care. And then um, I was talking to a friend and he said, What's going to happen with Walmart when this when we decouple from China? And they've always been always low prices. And by the way, they have bought a lot from China. The, the rise of China has been, I think, 10% of that you can attribute to Walmart. So they took one way to look at it is they helped 50 million people come out of poverty because that's what's happened. A half a million, half a billion have come out of um, poverty in China. Well, those low prices now are dependent on some places like we don't make T-shirts in the United States. We're going to have to figure out, and it's not going to be an overnight thing. We can't decouple from China quickly in some some instances. I'm an automotive guy. It took a decade to move that factory and build the supply base and get the supply chain running over there. It's going to take another decade to get it back out. And I wonder what's going to happen to Walmart. And again, they've They've been right all the time, but this is going to be a big challenge for them. Am I right? Definitely. Definitely. But look, I mean, I think you're going to see, I mean, I'll, I'll show you. I think the, the opportunities for growth in places like Mexico are, are tremendous, and that's going to create huge winners there, the, like the, the, the Tesla factory example. So this chart shows that the huge trade between U.S. and China, it, the orange indicates the decline. The green indicates growth, albeit smaller arrows, thinner, but but significant uh, significant growth underway. There's there's U.S. Mexico, U.S. India, U.S. Southeast Asia. All these other markets combined, they're going to have to step up. Barely <laughs> add up to China. They're going to have to step up, but they're adding capacity, and that's also good news as the uh, uh, as Mexico builds out its rail network. We'll see more density there, and as these secondary ports like Savannah, Norfolk, Houston, and others pick up volume. That's that's good news for them as well. So look, I think this this will create plenty of winners. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I don't know if that's the rest of the slides you wanted to share, Ben, if that's uh, it's up to you, whatever you want to well, share. There's a, lot, there's a lot more we could talk about, but I think I'll just close with 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 this. If you Ooh, look at what's happening- I like in, that. Well, how about this one? Green screen. So this is an example of a winner amidst these challenging times. Green screens figured out that they could do one thing really well, which was give truck brokers superior pricing. As you know, pricing in the truck brokerage industry has is, is traditionally been more of a monopoly business and one large company that told companies what they thought the price should be and charged whatever cost they thought the market could bear and did it their way. And, and that one company, as, as, as Kevin Nolan said, was the most hated company in, in freight tech and said that uh, the market deserved an alternative. And we thought he was right. The team at Green Screens thought that there was an opportunity to provide better predictive real-time pricing and to give companies a choice instead of to, to be bullied. And so they figured out that you could use uh, AI to get a real-time price 
that was more accurate than what a top-down kind of you know monopolistic pricing system would tell you the kind of the market average was a month ago. And that's really valuable because the old way of doing it had a 20% error rate. Now, if you're a truck broker, your average margin is 14%. That means that 20% error rate means you were pricing at a loss an awful lot of the time and you simply didn't know it. So green screens figured out, hey, uh, we could cut that error rate by 80% if we use AI and, and predictive pricing. Uh, they proved it out with NFI and Gulf Relay uh, early on and then started to expand. And over the last year added, these are a few highlights, but added what, what I believe is now over 90 customers, mostly in truck brokerage and logistics. And that business grew about 550% in the last year. And it's creating a tremendous amount of value for the truck brokerage industry. And so I think if you come up with something innovative and you give the market a real solution, the market will adopt it. And this is a perfect example of that. So, so I think now is as great a time as ever to be an innovator in the supply chain world. We'll get back to the interview in just a sec. Guys, especially freight brokers, you just heard Ben Gordon and I talk about greenscreens.ai. Greenscreens is a dynamic pricing platform. We all know the big guys in the space, especially the freight brokers, are using dynamic pricing. It tells you what you should pay for a load. It tells you what you should price a load at. You don't have to use that those prices, but this will give you pricing that is two to three times more accurate than you're currently using. The big guys are all spending hundreds of millions of dollars to develop this, but you can get it from greenscreens.ai. It's probably already integrated with your TMS. So I'll put a link in the show notes. Check out greenscreens.ai. It is a can't miss. Guys, I've said it many times on my podcast. We're getting to a place of haves and have-nots. You either spend on this technology, and by the way, at Green Screens, you're not spending a lot, or if you don't make those technology investments, you're going to lose business to the guys who did make those investments. Greenscreens.ai, can't miss. So you said there's 70 publicly traded uh, companies, and those are on the S&P. So, yep. And by the way, um, I have interviewed Don Salvucci Favier, the uh, founder on the podcast um, about green screens. And what I think she said, I'm going to summarize it, is I think there's 20,000 freight brokers out there. Somebody says 17,000, some others say 22,000. Let's just say there's 20,000. When I asked her how many companies are using dynamic pricing, she said 100. Maybe it's a couple dozen. It's, It's very few. And those companies, I'll call them the haves. They are the haves and the rest are the have-nots. And they are able to price better. They are able to buy better. We're, we're an industry that's gotten used to tribal knowledge and, the, and dynamic pricing enables us to move faster, make better decisions. And it always gets better and better and better as we get information in it. And I think dynamic pricing was first used on the air, airplanes where we have very low margins on the seat. But you'll notice when you sit down on an airplane, not that you'd be so rude, but if you were to ask the people, what'd you pay for your seat next to you? They paid a different price than you did. <laughs> and they figured that out a long time ago, that dynamic pricing is what works. And um, guys, it, this is one of the technologies that I feel like you want to be a have, get it. If you, if you want to be a have not, you're going to lose. You're going to lose to somebody who has dynamic pricing. 100%. Plain and simple. 100%. And it integrates to your TMS. <laughs> it's one of these things that you, you have to have and, and you want to have because it, it's uh, like, why would you be, why would you bring a knife to a gunfight, right? Why, why wouldn't you get the best <laughs> exactly. technology for something this important? Don said something else that I thought was very interesting. She said when she worked for a whole bunch of different companies like Manugistics and all these different 3PLs over time, and she said, we were always trying to get the six or seven functions of a TMS perfect. And she says, so you work on the rating for a while and then you go work on the interface. So you're always working on something and trying to get it better, but you're always, it's a -a whack-a-mole. That's because then the market's getting better and better. And she said, now the way they build transportation management systems is with the idea that you can plug in something like green screen. So if you want to, if you're working with one of dozens of TMS and you say, I would like to use green screens, it's not some long integration where you hire somebody in eight weeks and they take 10 weeks to integrate it. It's 
get the get the uh, get the numbers from you know pay for it get the code and bam you're on it's it is easy well yeah i, I don't know why you wouldn't do it 100% that's right i mean this is like you know 30 days not not you know a year or something it pays for itself exactly exactly right so Ben, we went all over the place and God, thank you so much for sharing all this information. Cause again, I, I think what you just shared is I was hoping when we, when I talked to you that we get a sense for where the market's going. And I think I absolutely have that. And hopefully this is useful to everyone watching, but, um, wrap this up for me, <laughs> put a bow on this bad boy. All right. <laughs> the bad news is freight recession, economic challenges, inflation, and other macro factors. The good news is it's there's never been a better time to innovate, whether you're a logistics company using technology, a technology company building something, a shipper that's using uh, great supply chain services. Uh, there's more innovation, more creativity. The power of technology is greater than ever. Uh, you look at what chat GPT is doing and think about how similar technologies, AI technologies like green screens can be applied to supply chain. And I think, I think it, it, it may be a difficult year. For, for many of us in different areas, but, but you know, big picture, never a better time to be an innovator, never a better time uh, to use innovative technology. And so I think as, as we look at, at the opportunities in supply chain from a deal standpoint, look, you know, if you are raising capital now, do you wish you raised money a year and a half ago? Okay, sure. But again, we live in the present and the, the most important thing for all of us is what do I do now? Just like the money that, that was raised by companies in the 2001, two, three standpoint helped build, you know, tremendous successes. Look, I mean, Facebook raised money in 2004 and uh, I think it worked out pretty well for them. So, so, uh, so I think now's as good time as ever to be thinking about deals that help advance growth and success. Excellent. Excellent. Ben, I always love having you on my podcast. You're, you're the, uh, you're the de facto economist and finance guy who puts some, who puts some clarity on this market for us because you you hear people, you know, it's it's all anecdotal. That's the problem. And until somebody puts some actual numbers in front of you, you don't have a sense for what's going on. So I really appreciate you bringing the numbers. Well, thank you. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Joe. And and I appreciate uh, the great questions that you ask. And I, I always learn a lot from our conversations as well as from from the other uh, terrific interviews that you do. So thank you. Great. Thank you so much. And uh, by the way, don't forget, guys, I'm going to put some links up for the Ukraine Logistics Coalition. Please, please give what you can. It's a it's a fantastic cause. All you have to do is turn the TV on and be thankful. It's not you today. And uh, best way to be thankful is to give. So thank you so much, Ben. Great. Thank you, Joe. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.